0: Hello everyone, welcome back to episode 3 of the Universal AI Impact Podcast. Today, we will be covering machine learning resources, the scientific process, and a little bit about legislation for innovation. As we all know, machine learning is becoming an integral part of our lives, however, due to this rapid rise of technology, many resources have yet to be created. In addition, as with any innovation, governments and authoritative bodies alike have to balance risk versus reward when it comes to pioneering next generation technology. To help us with this topic is Dr. Ong, machine learning scientist, director of CSIRO, the Commonwealth Scientific and Industrial Research Organization, Australia, and the author of The Mathematics of Machine Learning book. I owe it to Dr. Ong for stepping out of his comfort zone and talking about something he doesn't necessarily have that much expertise in, education. Without further ado, let's begin. So for keen high school students with an interest in mathematics and computer science, how can we begin to think about introducing the mathematical fundamentals behind machine learning?
1: Uh, we could approach it in, in multiple ways. You could start with, with an intuitive approach um, in the sense of uh, ask about You know what does it mean for two things to be the same or what does it mean for two things to be different and and try and you know break it down from this intuitive notion to two more basic notions of of you know uh things we can measure similarity between things by subtracting two numbers each which represent a thing and, and build up that way so we can start from the intuition side um I, it, it depends where, and it depends very much on the background of the students, but this, this tends to, to attract, uh, students who, who, who feel, you know, somehow a fear of mathematics. Right. Uh, but, but the, the other side of the story is, uh, if somebody's very enthusiastic about mathematics, like yourself, then, then we could start a different way. We could start a way like saying, well, here's some mathematics. It looks very dry and you've learned about this before, but actually. You you can use it to measure similarities and differences and and look all these things that we we, we see today uh, in our daily lives are actually related to that by comparing, looking at similar or different things.
0: It was definitely natural to go to mathematics and machine learning because we were very interested in machine learning and our math progression made it so it would make a lot of sense to move on to a topic such as matrix algebra, which of course is a very important part of machine learning. And we figured we might as well use the book as our deep dive because it was a good gateway into two things that we were very interested in.
1: Mm-hmm. And, and let me also mention, right, <clears throat> the, the, that book uh, that you referred to so Mathematics for Machine Learning, uh, somehow it's not quite targeted at the high school level uh, in the sense that, yes, the book, we, we hope. We like to think we wrote it in an engaging style and it, people like but it's not really targeted at that because a lot of the the kind of concepts that you 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 that the, the book kind of assumes you've heard of before you do need all years of high school and then some some you know almost even like first year of college to 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 have us have seen before um and and still, what, what's very interesting is, uh, you, you can engage with it, it's just harder because the concepts are all new and it does take a bit of more time.
0: Our way of engaging with the dry math was to code the mathematical algorithms in Python. And in addition, we did start a couple of weeks earlier to refresh ourselves and learn the new topics, as well as we were also accelerated in
1: uh, our mm-hmm. school. Yeah, you know, sounds like, look, like, and based on our previous um, interactions I mean it it definitely felt that you had enough background to engage with the book so I'm not saying that you in particular but this you know I'm not sure who else is listening but uh, just if the broader public uh, you know uh, at the end of high school is where really you get a lot of these concepts.
0: So on to another question for me when I was looking at technical papers um, when it came to novel machine learning algorithms it was very daunting to try and understand what graphics they were trying to say and what language they were trying to use. So how could we make the technical papers more digestible um, so that more people can understand and we can stimulate that understanding and learning? Uh,
1: At at some very deep level, uh, the the, the presentations that are used in all these technical papers is actually in a different language. They're using words that look very much like English words, and then it just happens to have a few Greek symbols in it, but but it is essentially a different language. And I think with the way we 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 teach, uh, at least at least for the machine learning part, the way we teach mathematics really shouldn't be about oh here are some rules and 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 go do these rules for calculations, but really we should be approaching it very much like here's a new language, you need to immerse yourself in this new language, and now these words that sound like English words, like, you know, a vector, for example, it feels like an English word, but it, it has a, it actually is, is a, it has a, has a deep meaning in, in mathematics, so you could think of mathematics as a new language, and a lot of that presentation, uh, a lot of that discomfort is the same kind of discomfort when you when you travel to a foreign country and nobody else speaks English, it's the same kind of discomfort. You've, you've got, uh, you know, similar concepts like you, you need to get dinner or something, but, and you're hungry, but, but there's, there's no language. There's no common language to, to, to figure out what's on the menu and there's no you know not only that but the the there might be some local food that you've never seen of before and so so you don't even have that concept in your vocabulary so so it's really about language and i think making things more accessible is good i i do spend some some of my my time trying to to write more accessible documents but i think this just the same way we learn language you kind of want to start with some beginner books and then get into more intermediate books before you're immersed into it. And so starting right at the the, the research papers end of this is kind of like being thrown into the deep end in some technical legal courtroom of some foreign country. And that's, you know, not it's hard, it's just hard. <laughs> so I
0: guess to further that question, How could we build up that language understanding, you know, maybe stepping from the beginner level to an intermediate level and then to understanding the really technical side of these papers?
1: Mm -hmm. Um, So so one one thing that's also very strange about mathematics, especially mathematics for machine learning, is what people think of as making good progress. Uh, People tend to to expect too much of themselves is the way I would put it. the, the 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 book we, we our book is written in a mathematical style, and uh, your average person shouldn't expect to be reading more than two pages in in any given day somehow, right? You, so so there's an expectation because it's a book, and people pick it up and go, oh, it's not it's not so thick. And you know I, I could in, in my other book, I could flip through this. but but you know it, it feels really confronting that you're not you're not progressing as fast so so there's also an expectation management um how how to um kind of build into it i think uh there's room uh from the very very technical research papers to slightly more introductory textbooks to textbooks like ours which are a gateway to the introductory textbooks, you know, like, so, so I think there's, there's a sequence of steps, just the same way, you know, when, when we're learning a new language, uh, don't know whether you play music, but when you learn a new musical instrument, there's this kind of different steps of difficulty. And, and at this point, um, and, and maybe it's worth saying, uh, the, the whole boom of, of artificial intelligence is, is relatively new. Uh, up to about ten years ago, it was this esoteric feel that a few eggheads somewhere were interested in. So there, there wasn't a need for these more, more you know, these stepping stones towards to experts. But as as we we as artificial intelligence becomes a bigger part of our daily lives, I think it's it's important we have this more and more often.
0: Uh, I will definitely say it was a very dense book to read. But after we read it a couple of times, we were able to understand it. It was very jam-packed with information, but it was useful and it was concise, which I really appreciate.
1: Yeah, well, thanks for saying that. I, I, this, this is really good. And by the way, uh, you know, if you do like any book, and not just ours, which is great that you told me that, like it, it is really nice as an author if somebody reads a book and says, "Yes, I understood something," which is lovely.
0: Thank you. So on to a different topic. Um, when we were doing our expedition into the Mathematics of Machine Learning book, it was very easy to find the link between the math and the algorithmic code of the mathematical concept. However, it was very hard to get an intuitive link on how the math would apply to the actual machine learning model. So the question I ask is, how can we bridge the gap between mm-hmm. the mathematics and the ML code?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think that's a really you raise a good question, which I don't have a good answer to. I think I think um, it it's also somehow related to the history of the field. Uh, the 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 history of of mathematics tends to you know like when you think about if you if you look at colleges. Mathematics tends to be in their own department. These departments tend to have a very, very long history. You know, some some places in Europe, uh, you know, the math department have been there for six hundred years. So, uh, but <clears throat> on the other hand, you know, machine learning, uh, programming, where the code is coming from, is a relatively new field. It, it was you know less than a hundred years old. The, if you look at colleges, they they come out of uh, computer science departments, they, they, so, so the, somehow the history of the fields are very different. And, and, um, so the, the, even the ways of thinking are very different. Right. And, and so that, that's why that gap exists. Right. And I don't think there's, there's any easy way to, to bridge that gap. I think, uh, the, this, this kind of, uh, uh, a convergence of these two differences. So, so, um in from the mathematics side, I think more and more, and then our book tries to do this too. Uh, mathematics in machine learning tends to be written in, in matrix and vector form. Um and, and that already makes it closer to how it's implemented on the code, <clears throat> as opposed to written writing it in terms of sums with indexes, subscripts, and superscripts, which are less close to code. Uh, but on the other side, software has also been involving closer to it's the mathematics so you know 50 years ago people would program in fortran and if you look at fortran code today it looks there's no such thing as matrices or vectors but but today you know we're building on these these historical things and, and uh, modern programming language like python uh, in fact python itself doesn't have matrices and vectors it requires this package numpy uh to to, to, to create that. And now they're, they're, they're packages which are much more friendly than NumPy um, on top of them that, that bring it. So, so it is an evolution together. Um, uh, and uh, you know, maybe for the next generation of, of uh, students, it's going to be even closer. They, they don't have to learn Fortran, right? It's just historical that they're far away. Um, it's also worth mentioning at this point uh, that, that Right at the advanced parts of computer science, there's actually a really interesting gap between what we need in machine learning, uh, which is uh, real numbers, so, so numbers which, which could take any value, say 1.85, um, and how we represent real numbers on the computer, which uh, it's called the floating point number on the computer. And those two things turn out not to be the same. And if you get right to the very advanced ends of, of machine learning, this, this it turns out to be a very interesting problem that they're not the same because the, the computer has only, it's a discrete kind of, of representation and it can only rep- represent discrete things and, and in, in the mathematics, we need continuous things And that gap somehow is still an open research question. So there's still lots to do.
0: Yeah, I do remember in my CS class, we mentioned floating point error. Um, but we never quite fully knew the gravity of the issue of floating point. Um, we just knew it was a bit of a problem when dealing with extremely large, or extremely small numbers. So I can probably see how that could apply to a machine learning application.
1: Yeah, and let me, let me just give an illustration of why floating point is, is a problem. Uh, for example, um, if we're trying to add two numbers, one which is very, very big, right? Say, say, uh, a billion or a trillion, and one which is very, very small, you know, say, you know, 0. 0.2501, right? When we add those two numbers, uh, we, we know that, that if we try and do it on a computer, the resulting number will be like one trillion, and then there's a whole bunch of zeros in the middle, and then a one on the end. We know. In fact, it's quite, you know, and um, any any high school kid can 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 do that calculation. But on the computer, it turns out that that resulting number cannot actually be represented because it's not enough bits in the floating point representation to represent that that difference in range. Um, and and why does it matter for machine learning? Because uh, inherently we 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 don't actually have a good handle yet today on 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 the scale of numbers in machine learning. So so you know we could have data that is you know uh, studying something very small um, in 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 CERN in Europe where they have particle accelerators where they're studying things in terms of femtoseconds and really really small subatomic sizes. And you know here in Australia we, we're building a telescope. Um, half the telescope sits in Australia the other half the telescope sits in South Africa it's, you know that's how big this telescope is we're staring at trillions of years back um, billions of years back and, and you know so and and try and so those scales do exist uh, in our world and just trying to work out those just interesting so floating points do come back and back to you somewhere in future not right now but yes. <laughs>
0: Yeah, thanks. That definitely made the abstract uh, problem of floating point a lot more real and understandable. So I guess one question I have for you is, there's this word thrown around a lot, especially in the media, which the word is general artificial intelligence. And the term is so loosely defined, but the way I would describe it is applying one model for everything. Now, knowing my limited knowledge on machine learning It seems improbable, at least in the near future, that we'd reach that Mm -hmm. level because of such a diverse um, pool of data that needs to be pre-processed in many different ways. And the outputs are so very different in a lot of applications. So in my eyes, it doesn't seem that probable. However, especially you, since you have so much research experience and experience in general with machine learning. I just want to know what your opinion is on general artificial intelligence.
1: So, um it, it feels also that you you're somewhere down this route of of taking a very engineering view of the world. So, so I I take a very engineering view of the world in this in, in this sense that um engineers build things, right? So so we we, we, and, and uh, I, I also have this, this bias and I let me be upfront about thinking about this bias. And so it's, it's a bias in a sense it's the weakness of my training that I see the world as a way, like things that we do are constructed, you know, um, and because of, of this built up approach, I, I, I have this feeling that, that a single thing that will solve all problems a single artificial general intelligence that will solve all problems is going to be difficult Um, it's but having said um, you know 10 years ago we we thought um natural language generation bots are going to be difficult and you know we're now in 2023 and um Everybody has a thing that that talks to them. Like it looks like a standard chat tool. It interacts with you like a standard chat tool. Um, you know, if I if I wasn't really here, uh, you wouldn't even know, right? So, so, so it it so that that's the other end spectrum. I don't want to say we're never going to do it, but with my 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 personal biases, because we're kind of building things. And, and uh, is at least from from the engineering um, schools and, and in college, this is the same. in the engineering schools, uh, the people build stuff up for very, very specific reasons. right So so it's just just the same way you know we've got uh, big cars because people wanna, want want to, to to carry lots of people or lots of stuff or you, know, you want a low sports car because you want to drive well. And, and so they're quite different solutions. Um, but there is, there is hope, uh, when, and, and just to, to, to say that, that, uh, it's not always when we build something it's, it's for the single purpose. So, so the, the chatbot world, uh, is a really interesting one because it has given us a way to, to represent and generate language, uh. uh and so there's another field that I work in, uh, in 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 genomics, so computational biology. And if you look at at biology today, if you think about DNA sequences, it's it's a sequence of four letters A, C, T, and G. And uh, when you look at that string, it's a string. And when you pass that string to a standard chatbot. Um, that the ones that are online won't deal with it well, but the same technology that was dealing with human generated strings uh, can deal with these DNA related strings. So in some sense, there's some generalness going on. Uh, And and let me be, be upfront with you that it's still an open research question about what what is it? What does it really mean to do this generality? And it's a really interesting problem. this is This is literally a, a live research question right now um, as we speak. Hundreds of people are asking this question.
0: Wow, uh, I never actually knew that these models could understand DNA sequences uh, as well. It's very interesting. Um, thank you. Um, switching gears a little bit to the education sphere. It seems like to garner more interest in machine learning, I think we have to educate a staff, especially at a high school level, um, to be comfortable with teaching some machine learning topics and maybe even the math behind it. So my question to you is, how can we educate like willing staff and what resources can we use to educate them um, into a mode in which they feel comfortable teaching this type of material to students?
1: And and let me let me also make the observation. I and mean, it feels like your high school is one of, or you know, it's a it's a great, amazing high school. And it feels like the the you know the teachers are all amazing. Because uh, I, I'm not sure what it's like uh, where you are, but but in many places in the world. Um, we, we don't actually respect teachers enough. And, and so, as a society, I mean, you know, yes, teachers always, always complain that, 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 that their students don't respect them, but, but as a society, I don't think we respect teachers enough. So, um, we, the, the teachers themselves, uh, as they, 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 they themselves are, are being taught mathematics, um, they themselves might, might have a discomfort with it, all right? and and so when when they're trying to teach this at the high school level uh this this fear com- communicates across this discomfort communicates across and so it's not purely about um what type of materials we need uh and and also i think uh, it, it's so 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 the way to think about about um somehow the pipeline of it is you have got data in the real world I have machine learning algorithms in the middle, it's, you know, as you said, it might be the technical bit. and then i I have kind of data coming out on the other side. When I say data coming out of the side, it might be a result. It might be visualization, something that that the human will need to interact with. There's as you said, there's this good resources on how to encode data now uh, uh, but but also the other side needs needs work. Uh, there's some resources of that as well. Um, But in the middle, I I don't think there's there's an easy answer. I think uh, people like yourself could be writing more of this material. I think, uh, you know, just just knowing where where you are, what you know and what you need to know, um, somehow uh, is where where it is. Then I think um, computers have a role to play also because uh, being able to manipulate something ha- is very useful so so in many subjects uh in in in, in school many science subjects anyway you, you have labs right you 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 get to go into the chemistry so you learn about chemistry theoretically really abstractly and then you go into the lab and you get to i don't know burn something or i i don't know whether they allow that in your school but you know set something on fire right <laughs> uh, uh, And 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 I think with machine learning, I think more of those really interactive pieces allow you to grapple with the dry mathematics better. Um, and I, I, I'm not, I'm not uh, an expert in education uh, and by my no means, not an expert in education for high school, but I think some, at least with, with respect to engaging the audience, something more interactive with the mathematics would be very useful.
0: Yeah, I do feel like if there's some interactability with models, that would make everything a lot easier. Like if there was if everything was very preset, if it was intuitive to understand um, what was going on inside the model, of course that would make a lot of things easier. And you know, I definitely say that in terms of model development and usage, I'd liken it to making a like to a car um, where driving the car is, you know, Using the model, like the whole front end code, um, and that usually sparks excitement. And the front end can be used as a means of spreading awareness because a lot of people can use it. It's very, uh, it's a lot easier to definitely use the front end side. However, the front end can also attract the people who are really interested in that back end, in the making of the car. So, I definitely do think that having this sort of model is a very good idea. Yeah, and I'll say that the amount of resources for the technical, the much more mathematical side of machine learning is a lot less than the front end, so I guess one thing I have to ask for you is do you have any resources or any ideas for resources?
1: Yep, and it's worth for me to say, right, I think uh, for anybody who, who wants to learn how to code uh, any of these topics, uh, th- there's a lot of, of freely available, high-quality material out there, right? So so I think uh, the, the real trick is to, you know, th- there's stuff on the internet. There's a lot of high-quality material out there. There's also a lot of really bad material out there. And so I think for 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 high schools definitely that that curation of good materials online the uh, maybe maybe um, you know some sort of uh, group of friends or some sort of book club can can be kind of getting together about okay if you want to learn how to code in Python for machine learning these are the five good resources you should be looking at. That other one, you know, it looks really shiny, but it's really bad, you know, uh, or, you know, like, like so. Um, yeah. So I think, I think curation is, is an important part of that, that as well. Yeah. Uh,
0: I, I guess it might be a bit much to ask, but if you have any resources at the top of your head that you'd recommend, um, I'd be glad to hear them.
1: Um, I, I don't actually have, have anything in particular. Uh, I think so, so, so both ends, right. I think, um, when, when people, uh, so I, I personally like books, uh, I like reading, um, it's not for everybody. So this is why I I do mention kind of online resources. Uh, There's a lot of very good videos. There's, there's a video series. I think it's called three blue, one brown or three brown, one blue. I can't remember which way it goes. Um, and they they are very intuitive on on giving you very nice interactive video, like not interactive videos, but the videos, uh, you know, really very engagingly produced. There is that. now on the other end, uh, all the large machine learning conferences of the world, uh, you know, there are quite a few now, they, you know, maybe they're five a year or something, but they all have uh, what we call tutorials. Okay, they they're, they're on very specialized topics often, uh very specific things. So so there are videos for uh getting into the mathematics, but there's also videos on what to do after uh you, you have and these big conferences now um in the last five, ten years, they are all uh recorded, they're all freely all these recordings are freely available. So you're looking at you know two or three hours of. of Really, you know, advanced college level material um, you know from the world expert in this topic, right? and these are all also free, freely available on the internet. Uh, we, uh, yeah, so so again, so that's both in the spectrum, but I don't have any specific things to call out. Thank you so much.
0: Um... I guess on a bit of a different topic, how would you ignite that spark in a lot of especially high school kids to you know kindle that curiosity and the research drive so that um, it makes machine learning research a lot more palatable? It makes them a lot more in tune to mach- machine learning research,
1: yeah. Yeah, I I feel like it's it's kind of one of the really sad things about school systems, uh, and and maybe and your your school sounds like uh, uh it doesn't do this a lot. So one of the sad things about school system is you start off with a very very young child, uh, who's immensely curious about the world, who's always asking questions. You know, if you, if you if you if you talk to any any three year old, they go through this phase where they go why 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 you know, right. Uh, And and then we we go through a a very, very standardized uh, curriculum in school. uh, And and this somehow beats out the curiosity out of people. Uh, And and your question about how do you foster a more research culture? Well, actually, to try and encourage that curiosity again. Um, uh, And I think this is challenging because uh, all schools and all colleges, they, they have a lot of material to go through right today they they just have a lot of knowledge to go through and so the difference between a a a research scientist like my job uh and and a three-year-old asking why is i still ask why um you know this this but i think you need to ask why, after so so you need to kind of have learnt all the knowledge around that topic that you know, and then you can still ask why. and 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 somehow in between, while learning this knowledge, a lot of that curiosity gets lost. Uh, and And so I guess for for anybody who's thinking about becoming a researcher is to to not lose that that curiosity, but um at the same time, you know, be be patient enough so so that you you learn enough material, but so that you can ask the the good why questions, the interesting why questions. Yeah,
0: yeah I do feel like there almost is a sense yeah. that you need to complete this material quickly, and you're under the, under the pressure. At the same time, balancing the curiosities is very tough.
1: Yeah. Yeah, especially if you're cramming for an exam or something right you know like uh if yeah, i don't know if you're, you're sitting for sats or anything like that but if you're sitting for sats you you, you just have to be you know almost like a machine like you, you just have to be that quick in answering those questions right um so yeah anyway it's just hard to retain that curiosity um i'm not i'm not pretending to say oh. If you just work harder, you could retain it. It's difficult because it's, there's a lot of material to learn.
0: So another question is, given that you're, you know, a research scientist, what's your workflow usually like? How do you go about thinking?
1: So, so this, uh, the people, many people have like there are many, many different ways to be a research scientist. Uh, I'm, I'm uh, very much a a. Um, uh, uh, I'm I'm going to I'm going to attribute this style to, to Richard Hamming. Richard Hamming was was uh, 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 I guess you know one of the, the big big names in, in this era in fact that he has a, a bunch of mathematical objects named after him. Um so this style is to to always keep in your mind a bunch of questions that you're interested to answer. Uh, it could be why questions, it could be a how question. How do I calculate this or why doesn't this, this integral uh, work? Uh, so, so keep a bunch of questions in your mind. Uh, and, and you know some people have one or two, some people have 10 in your mind, okay? And, and so, so I, I keep a bunch of questions in your mind, but at the same time, I keep a bunch of um, interesting tools in my mind. So, so I might, I might know uh, uh, a very, for, for me, what an, an interesting way of, of computing a derivative. Okay, so, so there's, a, there's, a, there's something nice about this. And, and I keep a bunch of these tools in my mind of how to compute something or, or that I know that uh, something can be implemented particularly well on a computer for example, some bit of mathematics works really well on the computer, like, like on a GPU. So This is, for example, it's a very popular way. Of and, and to always have that. And, and so as, as we, as, as I approach questions with these, so as a researcher, I also do, it's worth mentioning, uh, I do two very distinct types of research. I, I do quite technical, I guess, from your point of view, very mathematical research. Um, how to compute an integral is something that that we we just uh, finished this week and it was a particular kind of integral and then you know we we found an efficient way of computing it um, and uh, the at the other end of the spectrum I also work in very very practical problems. Uh, I already mentioned DNA uh, of you know how how do we increase the production of a particular protein uh, right and um, and so when when I approach any real task, I I, I I I have I pull out my curious side and go pull out my list of five questions and go okay does this appear here does this appear here or I I I pull out my my you know set of favorite tools and just have a tinker with it and see whether anything falls out so so I, I'm that kind of researcher I have I I do both. Uh, uh, but there are many different types. Uh, there are many different types of researcher. And I think the key trick is, is to, to, to balance this what, what I call productivity, which is to, to be able to solve problems. Again, I mentioned I have this very engineering bias of the world. You, you kind of want to make progress and build things. Uh, but at the same time, you want to be asking the right questions. So there's there's a really uh, so so actually, chatbots is a good, it's a good uh, topic. Uh, One of the first uh, chatbots in the world was a chatbot named Eliza. It was written by a professor at MIT, I'm going to say in the 60s. It might be in the 50s, but I think it's in the 60s. Uh, Joseph Weizenbaum was his name. And uh, this was a very simple rule-based chatbot. Um, And and very soon after that, um, he he became very much an anti... Uh, AI type person, because he was horrified at how people uh, h- how people reacted to his chatbot people people really felt that the chatbot was like a, a psychotherapist right somehow. It was just a simple rule- based chatbot okay uh, I was really horrified and and the reason I, I raised Joseph Weizenbaum is that uh, one one thing is to build things uh, the the other thing that that I think more and more we need to do as researchers, because AI is uh, very popular now, is to to ask: uh, Are we doing the right thing? Are we doing something good with this? Right? So 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 again, there's this is balance of let's just build stuff. Let's not worry about whether the stuff is good or bad, or because because most of the technologies uh, is is dual use. It can be used for good or evil. Uh, but uh, on the other side, it's also getting more and more important. We we try and do the right thing. And Weitz and, and Balmers is, is uh, one of the, like you know, more than half a century ago already was thinking about such things.
0: So on switching gears a little bit, uh, one question I have is, since you're working as a researcher, uh, an- another t- a topic brought up frequently is the ethics of machine learning development. And so, have you seen ethics play a role in any of your research?
1: Uh, so, I think it's becoming more and more important. Uh, I, I guess three three examples come to mind. On, on the first side, um, there's been a flurry of um, I'm going to call it trying to mathematize ethics. Okay, it, it, and and it's it, depending on on who you talk to. There's can be seen with a bit of horror because saying I'm trying to mathematize what does it mean to be ethical? Uh, or it can be seen as, well, we have these successful computational tools uh, that, that seem to be very useful for many things. You know, we, we, we could try to make ethics more precise, uh, and in the hope that we can imbue, you know, the, the systems we build with somehow ethical. Uh, outcomes, All right. So there is that. so so there is that. so so there's been a flurry uh, the, 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 of, of this work uh, there, there's some really, really amazing people leading this way. Um, there so that's worth saying. Um, then there is the 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 ethics of um, of of data, I'm going to call it data. so so th- there's a very difficult situation that we have right now where uh, our, our regulations don't really, uh, they're not really well-suited to, to protecting us uh, online. I don't have a better word for this, right? Um, you know, uh, let, let me pick something something quite, quite straightforward. Like if there's a camera in a shop, uh, a video camera in a shop, kind of watching the the, the front door of the shop, um, ostensibly prevents theft, but on the other side, this camera could record everybody who comes in, uh, you know, uh, and and, it's, and that data could be used in in some sort of machine learning. So this this ethical collection uh, and use of data, uh, I think I think it, it's it's a live topic now about you know, how do we regulate this, how do we protect people's privacy, how do we, you know, uh, this. There's a phrase uh, that's that's often bandied around. You know, the right to be forgotten. Uh, so 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 there's this there's, there's all sorts of interesting ethical questions there. Um, I, I I'm not an expert in 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 privacy or, or regulation, uh, so I can't speak a lot to that. But I think there's there's a lot of room for for uh, you know people who study law, people who study social sciences to to understand that. And then there's the other side. Uh, of ethics, which is when are we allowed to use an algorithm to make decisions? Okay. And and let me be blunt that we we already are using algorithms to make decisions um, because we don't have AI algorithms on it. Uh, somehow people feel that. And there's a big scandal in Australia right now called the Robo Debt Scandal, which uh, they they. Uh, they implemented a, a very simple rule uh, uh, on on um, people who are on social security, and it turned out that the rule was uh, incorrect. I'm trying to be politically correct, right? And, and and what 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 they what they what what happened was uh, they they went out and did they 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 identified a lot of people who are on social security as owing money to the government. Right so these right? so 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 this rule and and it became a serious problem and and then, you know, many people committed suicide and and you know so because it's, it's and and so there's a scandal going on right now. and so the, but the the point is where do we apply uh, algorithms, where do we apply machine learning predictions is also an ethical question. Um, uh, unfortunately, you know, the conversation today, uh, has been dominated by the people in the tech field, the, the the people in the large tech companies, because these are the the people with the knowledge and the resources to be able to deploy algorithmic decision making, um, and and so I think there's room there on that side as well. When should we be be using decision making uh, for that? So and and tied into into all this. You know the ethics of data collection, the ethics of where we, we make decisions, um, is also somehow the biases we have in our data sets. Uh, uh, because once once we, we we like to think as 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 scientists that that data is somehow objective and and uh, you know speaks fully to the whole truth, right? But what 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 we often forget is data is collected. Uh, but it cost. Firstly, it costs money to collect data, and so data is collected for a reason. Uh, and and so the, the data itself, you can't see it as a purely objective thing, uh, fully reflective of reality, right? Um, so so I've got a good example there of this bias. Uh, uh, n- nothing, uh, you know, like 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 to, in Australia in ecology. So so in Australia we've got this cute little animal called a koala, and. Uh, if if and, and we have this really nice uh, website where people can upload, uh, you know, if they cite a koala, they can upload, uh, you know, I sighted a koala at this location and here's a photo of it. Okay. Now, uh, if if you look at this website and you ask the question, where do koalas live? And you think about this this data as you know the objective truth. The conclusion you will get by looking at this, this, this data set is that koalas live next to roads. <laughs> right? Okay, and, and, and so so this is a very good example of, of the fact that there is data collection and data is collected for a reason. Well, it's usually tourists driving down roads in, <laughs> around Australia. Uh, but if you treat the data as as this objective, untarnished reflection of reality, uh, it is biased. and And so that bias and and koalas are are not such a such a big deal if we get the the distribution wrong. But you know there are other things in life, right? You know where where do crimes occur? Uh, you know uh, th- those kinds of questions, and and those can be really, really difficult. And it's worth remembering that data is collected for a reason.
0: Yeah, I think I've experienced this data bias firsthand a little bit because you know, I'm interested in meteorology. And so recently I was tinkering around with a machine learning model to predict a certain type of storm in a certain type of area. And when I was trying to create my model and gather the data for it, you know, I would get a lot of data from this specific area because the storm is usually very local, but now it's been happening in different areas. And I didn't really take into account factors such as terrain or coastal influences and i saw that my model didn't really perform as well or didn't even Mm -hmm. give like a real storm which uh was definitely an interesting find and that data bias was really evident especially in the model i
1: made Mm, no that's a yeah and and actually, it, since you're interested in meteorology, right? I, I think um the the data coming out of NASA from from the Earth observation satellites is absolutely amazing, right? Um, you like like it's just amazingly high resolution. it's 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 freely available to the public. Uh, they have really good apis uh, application programming interfaces that you can interact with. Um, yeah, no, it's really very amazing. Um uh, and, and actually it's worth adding something else. So so on one side, uh actually thanks for, for mentioning this, right? So, so I think on one side we 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 we'd like to to dream that uh, all our models, all our models of, of say predicting weather or predicting where storms occur can be data driven. We so so that's one dream, and, and I think uh the machine learning world has has moved that that dream has made that dream progress a bit so we've got had a lot of advances uh but it's worth putting a plug in for good old-fashioned physics right We, we know a lot about how uh storms evolve we know a lot about the conditions that Give rise to these storms, uh, you know, like certain certain as, as you notice, noticed, right? Certain certain land um, uh, earth formations, for one of a better word, give rise to storms, right? And 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 coastal regions are also very important, right? So so we we know that physics, and and in fact we have very very good models uh, of of that physics. You know, the, the, when I say models here, I'm talking about you know, literally mathematical equations that can be simulated forward on a computer uh, really well, and not the models are not all hundred percent accurate. But by by looking at a whole set of models, we can manage that uncertainty, and then by and large, that 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 overall set is quite good. So uh, I, it's it's an interesting question going on now that you know, how do we combine the best of both worlds? Because there's the data driven models. And then there's the knowledge-driven models. Uh, And I think there's a really an important question to be asked about how to combine them. And maybe using a more concrete example, uh, we we, we know that if we're using an online chatbot, sometimes it gives out things that sound good, but they're not real, they're not facts, right? Uh, And um, the same thing could happen with these data-driven models say, for, for, for weather forecasting, or, right? So, so you, they, they may be real, uh, they, they may, might look realistic, but they may not respect physics, okay? And, and so how to combine the best of these things, how to make sure that, that these generative models, these, these, these machine learning models are somehow respecting what we know about the world? Uh, it's an interesting open question.
0: Yeah, I remember thinking about maybe having a physics engine check whether the storms I was forecasting were even in the realm of possibility or even meteorologically accurate. Uh, It seemed a little complicated, but I tried thinking about how some of the physics models would be able to ground the model in some Mm -hmm. realism.
1: Mm -hmm. And, and, And just... Drawing another analogy to show uh, what what it means to check this, we, we what what it means to check. So so in computer science, uh, so Python doesn't really do this, but but there are many computer science lang- like languages like C, uh, where we, we we need to compile the 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 the, the code, right? We, we compile it from the code with the language you're writing into something that runs in a machine. And in Python, it's also done, but it's done under the hood, so you don't explicitly see this. Now, uh, you you could think of fact-checking somehow as as a compilation, right? Um, You you, you, you take a model that's data-driven, a data-driven model and generate some, some possible features. And you could compile it to check whether it respects some physics. And this is essentially what compilation does, right? It checks whether your code is syntactically correct, right? And after that, you're kind of comfortable, okay, at least it's syntactically correct. It doesn't mean that the code is still doing the right thing, right? It, it, it just means that it's at least it respects some set of rules, all right, it's not the whole story yet. Uh, but, but at least we, we could be doing something like this. Maybe, maybe, you know, maybe, maybe you can uh, invent some way of, of, uh, compiling, you know, a, a, a machine learning identification of storms to check whether the storms are real somehow. Yeah. Maybe.
0: It seems like the Australian government is working closely with machine learning researchers, at least in implementing regulation and correct me if I'm wrong here but I do feel that the regulation does tend to lag behind innovation by definition of innovation. So how would you advise other governmental slash authoritative bodies in developing regulation, or even the Australian government for that matter, while not stifling innovation? So managing that risk versus reward.
1: Mm-hmm. I, I think, I think. Um, so f- firstly upfront, um, I, I work for, 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 uh, uh, a government agency, and uh, w- one of my things in my job is I'm not allowed to give advice <laughs> on what governments are supposed to do. I'm supposed to be impartial about this uh, but but let me let me let me try uh, uh, and say, say a few different things right so firstly um, i think the the European Union has been very much uh, on the front foot with respect to to regulating ai that uh, there's there's all sorts of interesting questions about, because the technology affects other parts of our lives, we we also have regulations already for those parts of our lives. So, so we have, for example, I, I mentioned privacy earlier in, in the example of when we're allowed to use data. Um, we, 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 we don't need a brand new regulation for privacy. We already have that privacy, consumer privacy protections are real and there. Uh, and, and we just need to, to to figure out how to to interpret them correctly. Uh, you know, this is part of the education of what is AI, uh, but but also to to enforce them properly. Because now a lot of the the kinds of of difficulty uh, in regulating AI is because AI tends to be global. Uh, uh, like they're globally relevant, right? so so it's hard for any single country and Australia is, is a very small country. so that's but that one side um, and and with re- with respect to to thinking about you know where like how uh, h- how we how to balance this innovation question right? um, in 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 many ways, I so so we, we have regulations. So, so actually, there was a very nice nice article about, about apples, okay? So, and, and this was with respect to re, uh, renewable energy. So, so the analogy was, if I have an apple tree in my, in my yard uh, and I, I pluck apples and I eat it, uh, that's fine. And if the apples have worms every now and then, I'll just chuck it out, right? But if I get these apples and I start giving them to my neighbors, I somehow, you know, need a higher quality, right? And if I now start selling apples, you know, to to the local big supermarket chain, the supermarket chain will require an even higher quality from that. And in many ways, regulation is is there, uh, not, you know, it it doesn't restrict innovation in the very small, sense like so so if it impacts a small number of people and and it's 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 uh you know i can i can do all sorts of interesting things with my apple tree and and see whether it affects the apple tree but but once i start affecting a bigger bigger part of the population uh that that's when regulation needs to come in i need to make sure that the the apples are safe that i'm not spraying all sorts of horrible pesticides on the apple to make it look shiny right so 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 in in many ways, I see uh, that that balance as uh, regulation should be about uh, controlling when it starts impacting a lot of people and And I guess the part of your question is really um, the 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 uh, you know the, the machine learning algorithms, AI algorithms are impacting more and more of us every day and it is somehow the right time to be thinking about how to regulate these things to make sure they're safe, they're not, uh, you know, uh, exploiting things. Uh, so you're right, it's the right time, but I, I don't have a, exactly a good answer on um, how how to find that balance. And in many ways, uh, if anything, it's more about uh, the balance should be about already leaning upon the regulations we already have. We have regulations on privacy, we have regulations on food safety, we have regulations on air quality. And, and so it's not so much that we need a brand new regulation because we have a brand new technology. It's, we are, these technologies already touch other parts of our lives and we already have those things there. So, so I don't think you know, we need to fully reinvent everything.
0: Yeah, it doesn't quite make sense to implement completely new laws from the ground up because then you lose the importance of the previous laws. So building on those laws definitely makes like a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, so I guess the question I want to ask is, how do we balance these promised long-term benefits for such impressive innovation? Because it could affect a lot of people with the promise of benefits in the future? Of course, not mm-hmm. guaranteed because we can't know, um, but how do you balance the risk mm-hmm. versus reward in that type of scenario?
1: Yeah, and, and I think it's, it's also worth mentioning, part of the difficulty in regulation is that as new technologies come up, um, th- by definition, the, the, the innovators are the first people who understand the technology. Okay. But there's also a self-interest going on that the innovators are the ones who stand to benefit the most. So, so there's also somehow a conflict of interests going on and, and this is a very difficult thing to grapple with, right? Um, so the, the people most well placed to advise on the regulation are also the people who stand to to benefit the most, right? Um, And then there's this this uh, kind of long term argument. Uh, In principle, the long term benefit is very good. Uh, Unfortunately, the like a lot of things in tech, um, these words have been kind of used in in a bad way. So, so the word long term long term now and in 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 the tech world uh, is associated with this this. I'm going to call it a cult, even, of long-termism, which is imagine a future, uh, you know, uh, I don't know how long-term that is, a million years away, don't don't quote me on these numbers, um, where, you know, there'll be a a trillion, trillion human beings in the world, right? And those trillion, trillion human beings, they're spread all over the cosmos. We need to think about them, okay? That benefit for them and we, let's not worry about our our minor issues today, you know, my, right? And and so, so th- there's that. And but it's it's becoming quite a quite a a bad uh, discussion that direction. Um, so be, be, be like. So the long term benefit, I think, uh, if you're thinking about shorter timeframes, if you're thinking about, you know, uh, say say in our lifetimes, right? Uh, yes, we we should agree. On, on ways to, to think about that but it doesn't mean that we can just um, let, let somehow uh, the, the short term uh, like like you know w- we shouldn't be behaving illegally right now even if we could give great benefit in 10 years somehow. All right wow. and, and, and uh, although standards of society does change, right standards in society does change, uh, you know. Um, yeah, good examples are right. Right for women to vote has, has changed in you know a very short period of time. Uh, we, in Australia, we, you know, about twenty years ago, we we legalized same sex marriage. It's also so so standards of society do change. So so what is considered good now and what's considered good in the future can change. But but when we think long term, you know, we should be thinking kind of human lifetime type length of long-term and not a million, million years long-term. So be, be very careful of those two, two different meanings because the word long-term has been now misused. And, and so you can't talk about long-term, long-termism without kind of going into that. Imagine a far future with a trillion, trillion human beings spread all over the cosmos and we are irrelevant with respect to them.
0: Thank you so much um if you have anything else to add you can
1: uh, say it here no um I, all i can say is uh, thank you I'm, I'm really like to see that that you're you're engaged in machine learning i think the world do it does need uh people young people to, to to engage with this new technology really really pleased to see this and uh, my parting message is keep up the curiosity because that's what's going to be good in the future
0: thanks so much it was an honor having you on the podcast have a good day
1: yeah it's a pleasure thank you
0: once again thank you to dr angie for really giving us these deep insights and questions to think about make sure to tune in for the next one and i'll see you guys later